So I'm a youth pastor as well as a children's pastor. So on Sundays, I teach in the third through sixth grade classroom. The problem is, is I'm not always child friendly, okay? Um, my sense of humor really does lean itself more towards like the high school crowd. So you have to laugh at my jokes because this is the only place where I work, okay? No, I'm just kidding. But they don't understand my jokes a lot of times because a lot of times they are sarcastic. So this previous Sunday, for example, I was preaching a sermon also on heaven to the third through sixth grade classroom. And I was trying to get the kids to imagine what heaven would look like when they get there one day. And I encouraged them, if you feel like you have something that you're excited about for heaven, you should raise your hand and share it. And so they all start raising their hand. They all want to be picked and they have the cutest answers. Like one little boy, he said that he's so excited for heaven because he won't have to pay for lift tickets to go skiing anymore. And I was like, dude, when have you ever paid for lift tickets? You're in third grade, but it was cute. And then another little girl said that she was excited to see her grandmother who had passed away. How precious is that? Then, okay, this is interesting. One little girl, I was like, Laddie, why are you excited to go to heaven? And she said, so I can finally find out what happened to my cousin. <laughs> what, hap what happened to your, I want to know what happened to your, like, that's all she said. And I was like, Okay, um, so then I went to the next person and they just have the cutest, sweetest answers. Then I go to this one little girl and her name is Marissa. Now, can I please say, she is a second grader. My audience was supposed to be targeted for third to sixth grade. Let me preface that. So I go to the second grader who's raising her hand and I say, yes, Marissa, why are you excited for heaven? And she was like, because I'll get to see my kitty who just passed away. Now I forgot my audience for a moment and I looked at her straight in the face and I said, Marissa, there's no cats in heaven. Because <laughs> I thought that was funny because I don't like cats. And then her eyes got really big. <laughs> She was so sad. Luckily, she has the attention span of a fly. She quickly forgot about it. I explained that I was kidding. But I, can, can I say, the joke is still funny, even if it's not the appropriate audience, okay? So it was a good joke overall, but I'm also very excited to be in this audience tonight where um, I can be sarcastic and you guys will understand. But on that Sunday, I was teaching on heaven to the third through sixth graders. And as we were talking about this topic, we're like, I can't remember the last time we talked about heaven from a high school perspective. And so that's what we're gonna be doing in this series for these next couple of weeks. And we've called it Streets of Gold because this is one of the verses that we have about heaven that describes what it looks like. So it's a reference from Revelation 21, 21. And if you can picture this, it's pretty incredible, but this is just what the front of heaven is described to look like. So it says, the 12 gates were made of pearls. Each gate from a single pearl. And the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. So that gold on the street is so refined that you can actually see through it. It's gonna be absolutely gorgeous. It's gonna be absolutely beautiful. And we're gonna be talking about the next couple of weeks, what more we can expect. But before we go any deeper, we first all need to be on the same page but that when I talk about heaven, I'm not just referring to a nice idea, 
or a nice thought, but a actual physical place, just like the state of Colorado. Now, I understand you might say, well, how do we know that it's a real physical place? Because the only people who have gone there are dead. And that's a really good point. Also, there's a lot of verses in the Old and New Testament that describe heaven. And we need to say, okay, well, if I can extend faith to believing in Jesus, I can also extend my faith and my belief to heaven and believing in something that I cannot physically see. We know a few things for sure. We don't know everything. We can't answer all of the questions, but we know enough to know that it's going to be an amazing place and how we are to one day get there. Jesus himself describes heaven as paradise in Luke 23. And if anyone knows heaven, it would be Jesus because he lived there before he came down to earth. But 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So in other words, you're not going to have all the answers. You're not going to be able to picture it after this series because no one can imagine the beauty of what is to come and what is for waiting for us. Now, there's a few things to be clear on. And first, we want to address how do we make sure that we can get to heaven one day? Now, there's a lot of different religions, a lot of different cultures that have beliefs about the afterlife. And a lot of them, though they defer, they kind of have the same thread of you get to a good afterlife by being a good person here on earth. So if you believe in reincarnation, if you reincarnate into a lion, that means you were probably a good person before. If you reincarnate to like a dung beetle, that means you were probably a bad person before. In the religion of Islam, they teach that if you're a good person, you go to the good heaven. If you're a bad person, you go to the bad place. But here's what we need to understand. As Christians, us going to heaven one day has nothing to do with how good of people we are here on earth. And I know that that goes against kind of everything that we understand, but it has nothing to do with our actions, our works, and our good deeds. It only has to do with one thing. And the Bible makes this very, very clear, teaches it over and over and over. There's one way into heaven, and that's Jesus. John 14, 6 says, Jesus told him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. So if you take away one thing today, let it be this. You get into heaven through Jesus, not through your behavior here on earth. And those that try to have an amazing afterlife and go about it without going through Jesus, unfortunately do not end up in heaven. They go to a place called hell. And hell is the antithesis of heaven. You can imagine it's a place of eternal suffering. And it is just as real as earth. It is just as real as heaven. They are both real places. A famous theologian, C.S. Lewis, puts it this way. There's no doctrine which I would more willingly remove Christianity from than hell if it were to lay in my power. But it has the full support of scripture and specifically of our Lord's own words. 
It has always been held by Christendom, and it has the full support of reason. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And this theologian is saying it's backed up by scripture. Jesus himself talks about it. It's always been taught throughout all of Christianity, and even reason itself supports its realness. So how do we make sure that when our time is up here on earth, that we go to heaven and that we don't go to hell? We've already made it clear. It's through Jesus. It's through having a relationship with him. Nothing to do with what we do here on earth besides our decision to follow him. Jesus' salvation for us is not based on us. It is placed on us. And I think you've probably all heard the salvation talk before, but the problem is most Christians just really can't comprehend grace. They really can't understand it because we as humans don't really operate on a level of grace. We believe that everyone should get what they deserve and everybody deserves to get even. But Jesus doesn't operate on this level. And so Christians might say, okay, I believe in salvation. I believe in Jesus' resurrection. And that's like 99% of the way that I get to heaven. But surely there's something I must do. Surely there's that 1% that does rely on who I am as a person and on my good works as a human. I heard a pastor put it though, that that 1% is 100% pride. We have nothing to do with it. And so that begs the question, well, if I'm saved, then I'm in heaven. What's the point then of being a good person here on earth? Why respect authority? Why work so hard at being pure like we talked about for 45 minutes last week with our boyfriend and girlfriend? Why serve the kingdom as you guys are always telling us to do? And I don't blame you for asking that question. What's the point of living a good life if you've already made it into heaven? Well, there's three really clear reasons that are lined up for us in the Bible. And the first is that Jesus died for us. And you're like, yeah, you've said that a million times. But hear me out on why this means we should try to be as righteous as we can here on earth. And when I say righteous, that means you're in right standing with God. Romans 6, 1 through 2, I love this verse. It says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So when you realize the cost of what it took to pay for the wrong things that you've done, which is the blood of Jesus, it should become harder and harder to be okay with doing bad things. When we truly understand God's grace and his mercy, we don't want to abuse it any longer. That relationship, that salvation through Jesus should change the way that we think. It should change the way that our hearts operate. And it should, therefore, bring about righteousness within us. Genesis 15, 6, this is a really interesting verse. It says, and Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So Abraham, the father of our whole religion, He was trusted with things. He was righteous 
not because he was an obedient servant of the Lord, not because he was a good person, but because of his faith. We are not saved by our own righteousness. Our righteousness is a product of us being saved. So when we're talking about why be a good person, it's because it automatically should be a byproduct from salvation. That should begin to make us become more righteous. Second reason is we need to represent Jesus well with our time here on earth. We are his followers, and therefore we represent him to people that do not know him. And there is nothing worse than a hypocritical Christian. Nothing worse. Nothing pushes people away more from a belief than a person who preaches one thing and acts another way. That's the second reason. The third and the final reason of why we should try to be righteous during our time here on earth, even though we're already in heaven, is because one day we will come face to face with Jesus himself in heaven. We will come face to face with him. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10 says, so we try our best to please him. We want to please him, whether we're at home in our bodies or away from them. We must all stand in front of Christ to be judged. Each one of us will be judged for what we do while in our bodies. We will be judged for the good things and the bad things. Then each of us will receive what we are supposed to get. So this verse is kind of explaining the process of what happens when our time here on earth ends. Every single person on the planet, regardless of their belief, will go to heaven first. And in heaven, they will come face to face with Jesus, our Savior. And in that moment, he will take his rightful place as judge. He has witnessed every single part of our life. He knows all of our motives. He knows all of our actions. And first, he will determine, do you know me? Do you have a relationship with me? And for those that do not, he will say, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Those people, after witnessing the grandeur of heaven, will be sent to hell. If Jesus determines, okay, we have a relationship, you do know me, next comes this part where he decides how you lived your life, what you did with the years. You're already going to get into heaven if you have a relationship that is locked in. But now he has to determine what the eternity that you have in heaven will look like. Because that is based on how we spend our years on earth. What we do with the cross of Christ determines where we will spend eternity. However, the way we live our life thereafter as believers determines how we'll spend it. You will go to heaven if you have a personal relationship with Jesus. And heaven is amazing. But it's also individualized. So my eternity in heaven will not look the same as Pastor Brittany's or yours or anyone else's. I will have to face the Lord personally and receive judgment for my actions and for my motives during my time here on earth. Then based off of that judgment, that conversation with Jesus is how he determines our rewards and what our heaven, what our eternity will look like. Now, I know that this is kind of hard to understand. And so I have a movie clip because sometimes 
the Lord speaks to me through movies. And when I saw this, it kind of clicked for me. Have you guys seen a movie called Passengers? It's with Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. It came out the year I graduated in 2016. So it's kind of old. But it's this movie where these two characters are on a spaceship. And uh, they're flying. Yeah. They already know, okay? They're on this spaceship, and for some reason, I can't remember, they're the only two awake, and basically they're eating in this dining hall, and one person gets one type of meal, and the other person who has the gold status gets another type of meal. So I've got a short clip. Let's see if you can track what I'm going with this. Gold class breakfast. Well, you're a man of simple tastes. I'm not a gold-class passenger. French breakfast puffs above my pay grade. Okay, so that's it. So <laughs> it's very simple, but one guy has like brand, I don't know, it looks like ramen without like the sauce packet on it. And then the girl has like this gourmet breakfast. One person is just kind of bare minimum. The other person is all the perks gold status, gold member. And that's kind of how I imagine this, is there's some people that are getting into heaven by the skin of their teeth, just so, so narrowly. However, they're still in heaven. But there's others who, depending on how they spent their time on earth, earn rewards. So maybe, I don't know, that could be awesome food. I don't know for sure. That could be the job that you end up doing while in heaven. That could be the place that you end up living. No matter what, you get to be in eternal paradise. But God says, I will reward you for what you did during your time here on earth. I think that's really cool. So in order to receive rewards, the Bible is clear that you need to further his kingdom while you're here on earth. So maybe that looks like being kind and representing him well. Maybe it's leading someone to Jesus or just praying for them and they don't even know it. Maybe it is serving or tithing or just something where you're doing, where you're serving someone else besides yourself. But the things that we do solely for ourselves, for our own personal gain, those will be burned up by flames. 1 Corinthians 3, 14 through 15 says, if the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So what the Bible is saying is all of the stuff that you invest in here for yourself, maybe it's a really nice car, a bank account, your dunks, those things don't follow you up to heaven. You got the reward out of them during your time here on earth. But those times where you invest in someone else or you invest in God's kingdom, that is something that goes beyond and further than just being here on earth. It will follow you to heaven. If you treat his kids well, maybe that's your mom or your teacher or the weird kid at school. If you're kind, if you're obedient, if you're a good servant, all of these things that we know that we should do that are hard to do, Those usually translate to rewards in heaven. This is another thing that we need to understand is that each of us will have our own judgment. The standard that Jesus judges me by will not be the standard that he judges you by. 
we will all come in with different backgrounds, different histories, different experiences in our faith. And Jesus will take that into account. Luke 3 talks about, and this is John the Baptist who's speaking, and he says, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove the way that you live, that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. I love that. He's talking about that righteousness piece, right? And then he says, don't just say to each other, we're safe for we're descendants of Abraham. Now, what he's saying here is all of these people that he's speaking to, these are Jews. And so they are descendants of the father Abraham. So he's saying, don't just rely on the fact that you're descendant from him. Don't rely on his faith. And the message is the same for us. Don't just bank on your parents' faith. Don't just bank on your friends or your pastor's faith. Make it your own. And then he said, even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. So he's talking about all of that stuff where we invest into ourselves, where we don't live up to the full potential of what could be, they're thrown into the fire. The crowd then asked, well, then what should we do? And he replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized, asked, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? Asked some soldiers. Well, John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. I read this verse because each of John's instructions are different for each of these different types of people. They're individualized. Why? Because every person has different expectations, different standards based off of what they've been given. We all have different start and finish lines in this race that we call life. We all start and end at those lines at different times. So my starting line for my personal race began when I was very young. I was seven or eight years old when I prayed the salvation prayer for the very first time. That's where mine started. But my race looks very different from someone who didn't get saved until they were 20, 30, or 40 years old. Why? Because I had a lot more time to be saved than those people did. My parents were Christians and I had an awesome church to grow up in. So my starting point, again, looks different from someone who didn't have Christian parents or didn't have the influence of an awesome church. That's why it's so dangerous to compare our walks of faith with others. To say, man, he's so far behind from where I'm at. Or she's so far ahead. I don't know how I could ever catch up. We all have different start and finish points. And those will be what we are held accountable to. Not anyone else's. It's what you are able to say, this is what I did with what I was blessed with. This is how I took care of what I was given. That's what he will judge you on. First Timothy 4.8 says, physical training is good. But training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. So in my personal life, again, my walk became very, very early. I started very early. I got into ministry very, very early. And now I'm in this awesome place with the most incredible resources and the best group of high schoolers that I think 4640 has ever had. All of those are incredible blessings from the Lord that he has trusted us as 4640 pastors with. But when I get to heaven one day, 
that's what I'm going to be held accountable to. Madeline, you were, you were trusted with all of this. What did you do with it? How did you further my kingdom? How did you serve me? How did you make it about everyone else and not just yourself? And this is hard to think about because it's really easy to get into the performance of, well, (laughs) of course I have an impact. Of course I'm making a difference. Of course I'm furthering your kingdom, God. Look at what I get to do every week. But to whom much is trusted, much is expected. And so I have to remind myself, I have an audience of one. There's no other audience besides Jesus. Because he will be the person one day that I have to stand in front of. And I have to say, this is what I did, Lord, with everything that I've been given. And I want so desperately for him to be able to look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. It would kill me if he said, yeah, but you could have done this. Why didn't you do this? Why did you serve yourself in this way, in this way, in this way, when you could have been serving my kingdom? And even if you're not called into ministry, it will be a similar conversation. How did you invest in my kingdom? How did you make sure that the people around you had an opportunity to meet me? How did you represent myself to them? What did you do with the resources and the things that I gave you? That's what you'll be held accountable to. And when we get to the finish line, we might be so excited because we might say, wow, God, you did so much for your kingdom. Look at all I did. Look at my track record. Look at all those people over there that are in heaven because of me. I invited them to church. I prayed for them. I told you about them, Lord. Well done me. But no one's going to be coming up to you saying, hey, good job. Thanks so much. You're the one that got me to church. You're the one that saved me. When Jesus is standing right there with scars through his hands and his feet. So he's calling you to serve him. But it's not so that you can get a gold scar, star and all these people can say, yes, you had such an impact on my life and you're such an amazing person. But so that when you stand in front of him, you can say, Jesus, this is what I did for your kingdom. This is how I served you. This is what I did with what you've given me. 1 John 4.17 says, And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. That's the goal for each and every one of us. And so we can start thinking about these things even as high school students so that one day when we do get to heaven, we can be confident. We can be confident when we stand face to face with Jesus and we can say, your love grew more and more perfect in me every day, God. And I was made righteous through you. So what do we do now with this information? Maybe it's the first time you've heard it and maybe it's not. But how do we move forward? The first thing that we need to do is make sure without a shadow of a doubt that we have a relationship with Jesus. 
so that we one day can go to heaven. And you'll know because it's whether or not you've said this prayer. Romans 10:9 makes the instructions very clear. It says, all you need to do is speak this aloud, that Jesus is Lord, and to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you'll be saved. And so if you can say, I know without a shadow of a doubt that I've prayed that prayer, you will make it into heaven. But if you don't know for sure, I wanna give you an opportunity to pray that right now. And so if everyone would just bow their heads and close their eyes, and for the benefit of everyone in the room, if we just wanna say this prayer together, we're not gonna do anything weird, we're just doing exactly what that verse says. And so if everyone would say, dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the dead. So please forgive me and give me a home forever in heaven and make you the leader of my life. Amen. Amen. So that's the salvation piece. You're good to go. But this next piece then is living a life, living a life that you can be proud of, that the Lord can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That looks like treating him well, serving him well, representing him well, and remembering that when you fall short, there is always grace. So dear Jesus, we just come before you as your creations. You know the will and the plan that you have for each and every one of us. You know the resources that you're gonna provide and the people that you're gonna put in our lives, God. And so we just pray right now for the holy boldness and the holy confidence to be good servants of you, to serve your kingdom well, to invest in people besides just ourselves, to care more about just the things of this world and to start making investments in our eternity, God. Pray for wisdom when those moments arise. And we just pray against any guilt, any shame, any fear in Jesus' name. And then instead we can be challenged. We can be galvanized as we go into the years to come. We thank you for who you are and this incredible place that you've prepared for us. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.